Ayers on the Road, value-based parenting and life balance ideas from world-traveling family coaches. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. Hello, and welcome back to Winter Wonderland for us. <laughs> I don't know where you are, but we've come from beautiful Maui to a blizzard almost right now in Park City, Utah. It's kind of a it's kind of a shock. Nonstop flights are great, except that they juxtaposition you in a hurry, like you get Overnight. on seventy five, and it's beautiful, and the ocean is rolling in, and you get off the plane, and you're in a winter blizzard. But boy, the Earth is beautiful, isn't it? In all of its variety, it is. I mean, it's so watching, gorgeous where we are. We're watching the snow fall right now, and it's just beautiful and i would say linda if you want to appreciate a long winter get away from it for a month or so and then come back to it and it's beautiful again you know right it's just absolutely gorgeous here today um other than that we have to get the snowplow out and you know all that stuff but um it is a beautiful world. Wow. No matter where we are, we're glad to be back with you today. Glad to be back with our family. We were with part of our family on Maui while we were trying to do our work over there and our riding, but we got a lot more family here than there. And amazing. We saw one little kid the other day, Simon, our youngest grandchild, and We'd only been gone five weeks, but I swear he'd changed completely. Oh, my gosh. He learned to talk. <laughs> he learned to talk. He's asking all kinds of questions. And <laughs> we're like, whoa, what happened to you? That's amazing. And, yeah, we got back just in time for the end of about, I don't know, 18 birthdays <laughs> in our family. And uh, we have a darling granddaughter who just returned as a missionary in Chile, and she came, uh, it was her birthday, the day before Valentine's Day, and so we all just gathered, we got to see a lot of family and friends in one big felt yeah, cake, it was great. great. Well, to jump in, we, um, last week, those of you who, who listened, our last podcast, we were talking about our attempt to make our books free to everyone, and simple, easy to get to, because you know, books have been good to us, and we want them. We don't want them to be hard for people to get. And when we get the copyrights back, which always happens at some point, we just put them online. And I realized afterward we hadn't explained that particularly well. So we want to mention a little more about thirty, actually thirty-one now of our books that are just completely free, because we'd love for as many as possible to have access to them. We're going to talk a little more about that. And then we're going to talk about an article, quite a long article that was just published today. We're recording this on Friday. Many of you may not listen to it until Saturday or later. But it's an article we're really um, sort of passionately involved in. And we want to talk to you a little about what it is and tell you where to find it and see if it interests you as much as it does us. So on the first thing, um, I want to. We just want to read you a little from uh, the the website, which is just called IrisFreeBooks.com, all strung together. E y r e s FreeBooks.com. No, no, no. just okay. IrisFreeBooks.com. And let us just read you this this start of the website because it'll explain what it is and what we're trying to do better than than we explained it last week. 
It says, hello, we are Richard and Linda Iyer. For more than 30 years, we've been writing books for parents on families, life balance, and parenting. We published with Random House, Simon & Schuster, St. Martin's Press, Deseret Book, McGraw-Hill, and Penguin, but we have found a publisher that we like better than any of them, and it is us. (laughs) (laughs) It is ourselves. It is avoiding all the middlemen and getting books to those who want them for free. And it's getting them to people quicker with less, with more interaction and more feedback coming back to us. We hope you like this approach as much as we do. Here's our new philosophy of what books should be in today's world and our new mission statement and about how we hope to make it happen. So then it says the goal, and we'll quickly do this, then we'll get on with it. Um, The goal, make all our books available online for free. How is this possible? It's possible because these are our books. We own the copyrights, and we are more interested in getting them to the maximum number of people than in making them generate the maximum amount of money. That wasn't always true, but sort of true now. And then just one last little part, the question, why are you doing it? Uh, And the reason is parenting is difficult. Harder and fraught with more challenges than at any time in the history of the world. Kids don't come with owner's manuals or assembly instructions, and most parents and grandparents don't have time to analytically and deliberately calculate a family and parenting strategy to make the needs of their kids and the trauma of our times. And so, because books have been good to us, we're at a point now where we want to give them all back. So, That's a little more explanation that we didn't give last week. But if you have time, take a look at IrsFreeBooks.com. I think you'll like it. You just, all you do is register. There's no payment. It's all free. And then you can just click on them. And maybe you can find one among those 31 that, that you'd like to look at. And some of them are not free yet because we don't have the rights. We have not gotten But those 31, on the, but, everything on that side is free. Yeah, so there we've been talking a lot about grandparenting, but that's all still in the process. So hopefully someday we'll have everything on there. Absolutely. So in your spare time, take a look <laughs> at those 30 books to see what you think. Okay, now what we want to get to today is this article on... Meridian Magazine, and and I'll just tell you the easiest way to find it. The website's a little complicated. It's something about LDS Mag or something, but but if the easiest way is just go in your search bar and just put Meridian Magazine, two words, and it'll it'll just bring up the first thing it'll bring up is the click that says Meridian Magazine, and you just it'll link you right to the front page. And this article is on the front page, and it'll be there all weekend. If you hear this after the weekend, then you'll still be able to get it at Meridian Magazine, but you may have to scroll down a couple of articles to find it. But the name of it is, what is the name they give it? They retitled it, Linda. Do you remember? Let me just pull it up while you're talking. Uh, Your title was a little easier to remember. It's called The Lighthouse, but... um... This one is called oh, there it is. Paradigm Shifts on the Road to Exaltation. Well, that sounds pretty pretty serious, doesn't it? It does. It really does. And for those of you who are not members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, you might find some interesting things in there. 
But the thing that we think would apply, apply to anyone who's interested in family, and one thing we know about our audience on Ours on the Road, their interest, everyone's interested in family. This is an attempt to talk about theology or religion from the context of families and to say essentially, you know, families aren't part of a church. I mean, they are technically, if we go to church and families in the church and so on, but we're trying to say basically, don't think of families as the building blocks that make up a church. Think of it the other way around from that. Think of it as the church is there, whatever church it is, or mosque or synagogue, its purpose in being there is to help families, to help individuals and their relationships within their families. In other words, and one of the things that we say fairly early in the article is sort of making that point by by um, paraphrasing what Jesus said about the about the Sabbath. Jesus, of course, said, uh, um, you know, uh, the, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, it's a, it's a blessing to, to you. And we're trying to say that about the church, whatever church or whatever synagogue or whatever mosque, that the church was made for families and not families for the church. And, and getting that right can make a really big difference in people's lives and even in even in their faith don't you think oh yeah absolutely you look at the whole world differently i we live in such a finite world there's so much more in fact we've mentioned in the past we've gone through a plethora of funerals this season and we just heard one yesterday um of the very our one of our best friends uh brothers and Gosh, it's just so interesting to think beyond where we live, the reality that we're looking at right now. It's an entirely different world. We totally believe that it's going to be an amazing place when we get there, and we'll all get there. And that it's going to be very family-centered and relationship-centered. Connections are the important thing. And But it's going to be so different. And so it just blows your mind trying to think about it. But this is kind of a step into eternity. It's a step into thinking about what could be or what should be or what we can make it if we have the right mindset. So let us read you a little of the introduction to this article, and then it's fairly long, but hopefully if it interests you, you'll be able to to read the rest of it. So it starts out with, with the subtitle, Backwards. I grew up thinking that families were part of the church. And before we start, we have to I have to mention this is your article. We right, worked on right. this a you, lot for a were, long time. But you were my muse and I actually just rubbed your shoulders. Editor. <laughs> you I only know things are good if Linda approves them. But anyway, we'll we'll read you this first part of this. So I grew up thinking that families were part of the church. The church was the biggest and most important and the most eternal thing there was and the core and the reason for all other worthwhile things that existed. It held all truth, no error, and from its Salt Lake City headquarters, it would roll out of the mountains and dominate the whole earth. (laughs) And the family fit into that nicely. 
The family was the thing that got us here and that gets us to church. It was the raw material from which churches and dioceses and stakes and wards are made, and it was the source from which the church could draw its bishops and its deacons quorums and so on. Imagine my surprise when I discovered that I had it backwards. <laughs> the family was what was eternal and would make up the kingdom of heaven along, uh, long after the church and this mortal earth has passed away. The church was, in President Lee's words, the scaffolding with which we build eternal families. The proper order of things was, in President Nelson's words, home-centered, church-supported. That's our current church president. In that four-word couplet, I think, says it all, that religion, and particularly this church in this case, should be home-centered and church-supported. And so, paraphrasing again what Christ said about the Sabbath, the church was made for families, not families for the church. Now, why does this matter? Because when we get it backwards, when we get it reversed with the church as the center of everything and the family as the scaffolding, we live in kind of a false paradigm that causes us to misunderstand and maybe overestimate. Underestimate. I mean, yeah, it causes us to underestimate what the church is and what it can do for us and to fail to grasp what the family is and what it can become. In a false paradigm like this, the church sort of judges us, and we judge the church, and we find imperfections, and 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 there's one ideal kind of church-supporting family, and really no one has that kind of ideal family in, in real life. Yeah, we need to stop for just a moment because we realize that there are people listening who are single, who have never married— and often they come to us and say, I don't have a family. After a speech, I don't have a family. How does this apply to me? And we say, whoa, where did you come from? Yeah. I mean, everybody has a family, whether it's the family they came from or the family they are helping to create. Or their brother or their yeah. sister or their aunt or their uncle. And right. In other words, we want, to, we want you to, as we talk about this today, view family in the broadest sense, the most inclusive sense. We all, we're all family. We're all part of the family of God, and we're all related and connected to other people here and it's not just a nuclear family with a mom and a dad and a bunch of kids and that's that's what we can sometimes get feeling guilty if we don't have unless we see this in the bigger in the bigger picture so this is not a small juxtaposition and not a minor misconception it can wreak havoc from the micro to the macro causing everything from personal faith crisis to the destruction of relationships and families to the perception of a church that manages rather than ministers. It's important not to get this backwards. So let us take a little break, and then we'll dive a little deeper into this, the idea of why we think it is so beneficial to think of the family as Again, this expanded, as you pointed out, Linda, the big, big inclusive family as the real ongoing eternal thing. And churches and other um, religious institutions as a tremendous support and help to that institution. We'll see if we can 
um, elaborate on that a little more after this short break. Right. Hang on. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Ayers on the Road. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. And we're back. We hope that you're still with us. Um, we have really thought, I mean, Richard has spent hours and hours thinking about this, but we this has been part of the fiber of our thinking for a lot of years. And so this article really uh, pulls it all together and capsulizes the things that really are important. We do sometimes get things backwards and we think, you know, we do this because of this. And actually it's the other way around. Yeah, that that it's the cause and effect that we have to get it right. And I think that can change everything. A lot of the people we run into who have what they call or what is often called a faith crisis, or they're doubting their church, they're doubting their faith, they're doubting their religion. It's because they expect perfection from the people who lead the religion. They they don't they they look at the church as the end. It's the ultimate. It's everything. Instead of saying, "No, the church is this wonderful Christ community," and in, in the case of Christians, which can help us in so many ways, but it's there to help us, and we need to find the help it can give us, rather than judging it or finding some flaw in its history or some or one of the leaders or one something, of the leaders yeah. exactly yeah, which is happening so much so another way to talk about that is which what is it you really said that Linda the cause and effect or the means and the end and that's something to really think about let us let us read you a little more here that'll tell you what we mean my 10 year old granddaughter was practicing the piano one day when I stopped by for a visit I listened for a minute and said, you are getting good. I listened for another minute and asked, what is your goal? Proudly, she said, my goal is to practice for an hour every day. Her answer suggested that she, like so many of us, was not clear on the difference between a goal and a plan, between the end and the means. I tried to explain that a goal was a destination, something you want to get to or complete or become, and that a plan was what you do to get there. With that simple explanation, she decided that her goal was to be able to play all the piano all of piano book three, and her plan was to practice for an hour every day. So that, that sounds so simple, but actually that's a breakthrough for any of us, a child or an adult, to say, well, no, the goal is not to practice for an hour a day. The goal is to be able to play all these pieces, and the plan is to practice for an hour a day. That seems so simple, but when we confuse the goal and the plan or the means and the end, we, we well, let me read on a little here. Why does it matter? Because if the plan is thought of as the goal, we we can become mechanical, just going through the motions, doing our duty, putting in our time, being active. You know, I have to just add here, uh, interject, because I think so often as we have family gatherings and so on, um, my my goal is to get the dinner ready and get all yeah, the food yeah, yeah. and gather yeah. it up and yeah. make sure that everybody has an assignment or whatever and get the house clean and so on. That's just a plan. That's, plan. that's not well, a, goal. That's a great example. The goal is to have a wonderful family gathering. Yeah. 
and what we're going to do when we get there. I mean, it's nice to have the food. It's nice to have a clean house. But the main thing is, what are you going to do when you're together with your family? Yeah. Are you going to express love? Are you going to be sure that you know each person, that you you know talk to each person individually and so on? And so we all do this kind of thing. I backwards. love that example. So, so the reason we're working so hard to prepare this meal is not so that we can have a great meal. It's so that the meal can bring about the communication and the things that are the real goal. Exactly. Yeah, I love that. And so, I mean, you just you just anticipated this next paragraph. The clearer our long-range goals are, the better the target they provide for our shorter-range goals or our plans. If we know the end, we can find the means. The beauty of churches, the beauty of religion, is that it explains, or at least tries to to explain, to the degree we can understand it, our, our goal of salvation and of exaltation, of returning to God, of going to heaven, however we want to say it. And that begins to guide our plans and our actions. And the beauty of the atonement, of course, for Christians is that it compensates and makes up for the great gap between where we want to go and where we can get by ourselves. So piano paradigms are one thing, but when we apply the same separation of ends and means on the big eternal plane, we, we begin to see a bright new paradigm. The why questions become cosmic, yet in the light of the restoration, they are surprisingly simple, and they unfold like the endless series of whys and hows that children sometimes loop into. I bet a lot of you have had this kind of conversation with your with your child, and sometimes it takes a child to sort of make religion <laughs> a little more simple, right? All so right. so uh, you want to play the child or the parent? I'll be the child. Okay. Go ahead. Why? So is that? Why are we here? You're the child. I'm the child. Well, no, well, maybe, I maybe that's the, maybe the, that's yeah. the adult. Okay. Maybe right. yeah, the parents saying, "Why are we here?" Um, to exercise agency and become more like God, more like heavenly parents. Well, why? Because they want us to have what they have. Well, how? By having all the options and choosing, experiencing joy. Well, why? Well, because they love us. Well, why? <laughs> because we're literally their spiritually begotten children, and they want us to grow enough to return to them and be more like them. Well, how? Through Jesus Christ's atonement. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, you know, a kid, have you ever had a kid that, you know, no matter how many times you answer, they still say, why? Yeah, you ended <laughs> and up you, being the kid. Yeah. And you, you finally get to the point where you say, I don't know, because God made it that way, right? Well, why did he make it that way? <laughs> but anyway, the point is, in this context, family is the earthly embryo of what we want to be for eternity. And that that's really what this article is trying to say, is that here we are on this imperfect, messy earth, and we're supposed to have these perfect families, and we're supposed to be you know, on top of everything as parents and grandparents and to set a perfect example and have children who we're proud of and who always make the right choices and so on and to just look like this great family. And social media doesn't help because, you know, it's showing us families that look 
so perfect and effortless and so on. And we're just aware of all our problems. And it just looks so discouraging to us in, in so many ways so often. Or, you know, single friends are like, I, I don't even relate because, you know, I don't have any children yet. I don't really even have a family. Or I don't even plan to have a family. I don't family. plan to have a family. And and if we could just be more expansive and get that out there to where we're saying, wow, it's a big world and there's a lot, a lot of time left. If you really believe in the eternity of the soul, why would your progress be stopped when you're 40? Or why would your chances to have a family end when you're 80 or even when you die? Why can't we expand this and, and think of it in just a bigger and bigger way? And if we can, then it starts to really matter and it starts to really make sense. And and I want to say this, that, that when people think of the church or the religion or the faith as the ultimate end, and, and every individual just has to have faith and get to the end of being a perfect person, that just discourages us on so many levels but if we're like we it's about connections it's about relationships if god is really a parental god if he's really our father what makes any parent happy when your children love each other when your children connect to each other when your children have relationships and what makes a parent any parent incredibly sad when when their children don't speak to each other how many people have we met lately linda my 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 kids don't don't speak to each other or they don't speak to me we're divided we're right you know and 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 so the purpose of religion is to help and even some will say well religion's the problem you know some believe and some don't so we don't speak to each other and if we don't do just this and this and this then we're out and you know all those kinds of things people are get so wound up in and i think this uh you've written a poem at the end of this is just really so beautiful because everybody has situations in their family that are difficult um whether it's a gay child or whether it's a wayward child or whether it's parents who are concerning who won't talk to you who've gone off to sun city and don't want to help you with your parent with your kids and god's already there, judged me for this yeah yeah there's just so many issues that everybody has but well let's end on that poem you mentioned honey and um and before we do just remind you we, we're skipping obviously most of this article but Take a look at it if you've got time. Um, just go to Meridian, just type in two words, Meridian Magazine, in your church bar. It'll bring you to the the magazine where this is the lead article. But here's the conclusion that I think is important and that we want to read to you. Friends who read, friends who read the early draft of this article asked lots of what about questions. What about LGBTQ relationships and families? What about men who are married to more than one woman? What about agency robbing death or disabling? What about those who keep making the wrong choices? What about open rebellion and kids who leave and never come back? What about a bishop who makes mistakes that harm the individuals in his congregation? What about people in places where they have no freedom, no light, and no options? All these questions, and they're legitimate, heartfelt questions. 
But <laughs> I, I mean, I'm being really candid here, right? Because I'm saying for me, there are only two ways to answer, answer questions like this. One, be bluntly honest and simply say, I don't know. <laughs> and two, try to say as beautifully as possible, what we believe but can't fully explain. There's so many things because of our limited mortal brains and our time-bound perspective, we simply can't explain them, but we can still believe them because we feel them. And the best way, I think, to express that is in poetry. And if you'll help me by reading every other stanza, Linda, we'll just read you this poem and that'll be it for today. And it's called inclusive. Inclusive is another word for unity, the antonym of division, and the correct interpretation of God and restoration. The onlooking world gets it backwards, and often so do we. Temples are exclusive. God saves the few. Most are wicked and disqualified. Sheep are in. Goats are out. Some have families and some don't. These are errors of mortal short-sightedness and pseudo-division. Prophet Oaks said, Our theology begins with heavenly parents. In that light, who would interpret Gathering Zion as separating the good kids from the bad kids? Or covenant path as set singular sequence? Or tiny celestial as walled off from everyone else? Or exaltation as slipping into before the door closes. All these accuse God of being small and partial, the direct opposite of what God is. Oh God, please excuse the absurdity of our petty time-bound judgments. Quote, don't talk of marriage or family because you're leaving out singles and LGBTQ. No, 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 no one is left out. Thinking otherwise disrespects God as a father. Parents do not leave out some of their children. Just because we do not know the way does not mean there is no way. Zion is everyone. We are just presently gathering the first part. Covenant path can double back. Because the same gates may come in different order for each. With even earth and spirit worlds interchangeable. This is long term with repentance that is transformational rather than transactional. With him offering every opportunity forever to choose to receive all that he has to offer. So look up and let your spirit expand beyond our simpleness. All are in, all are theirs, all can have all, in, in a place and a span where there is so much time that there is none. The how has been calculated. All we must do is receive and accept and act, and we have the incalculable forever to do so. We do what we can now, not for future admission, but for present joy. None can exclude but themselves. And that is easier to understand than we might think. After all, who would you deny among your spiritual siblings? 
So just think about it. <laughs> I, like I think the more the more we think and the more we are in the spirit, the more inclusive we become and the more and the less likely we are to judge or to find fault, not only in others, but in our in our religion, in our faith. And the more relief that we feel that it's going to be inclusive. Everybody doesn't have to be perfect. We have so much time to get to perfection. So much time that there is none. So much time, there is none. So we leave you with that today. We hope we've given you something to think about. This is a great article, honey. And I hope that you take a chance to uh, take a look at it yourselves if you're interested. We love you. Thank you for joining us. And we'll see you next time on Iris on the Road. Bye till then. 